Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. So let's just get started here since apparently our episodes are way longer now. (laughs) Kevin Feige initially wanted to introduce the Guardians of the Galaxy in some short films back in 2014. This came out because there's a book that's being released that's covering the history of the MCU. And so there's all kinds of inside stuff that is coming out now. And so there's probably going to be a lot of Marvel news for the next month or so on older projects properties. But anyway, so he was talking about doing the Guardians of the Galaxy in shorts and he was quoted saying, we toyed with the idea of doing short films on Drax, on Rocket, and Groot, and on Gamora leading up to the Guardians. This one-shot series would have led into the Guardians movie proper, which would have been the directly preceded by a fourth self-contained short film about a mysterious kid who loved fantasy things. Then you'd start with the Guardians. Halfway through, we'd reveal that the big space hero is the kid from the short. We thought that would be clever, but it was too much. Apparently, they only completed the Rocket and Groot script, which they storyboarded and shot one scene. The other three shorts were still being written. James Gunn said they're still headcanon for him. (laughs) And he was quoted saying, it was really hard for me to admit it was too much for me and I was sad deciding I couldn't do them, especially Rocket and Groot, but you know, maybe someday. I'm kind of bummed out that we didn't get these shorts, honestly. Like the Marvel one shots were so much fun and I wish that they would keep doing them, you know? The last one I remember is All Hail the King which was uh, Ben Kingsley's character. Yeah, with Sam Rockwell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like in the cameo at the end. And they brought that back, so maybe they are thinking about doing them again. And, you know, I think now would be a good time to do that, mostly because, you know, Disney's really been promoting their shorts on the Disney+. Plus. Yeah, the Simpson shorts in particular. Simpson shorts, I've seen... Um, a lot of Star Wars shorts. They've done some Marvel shorts for sure for, yeah. like, animated stuff. And then there were shorts for just Disney film and Pixar film. So yeah, they're kind of kind of doing a callback to the old days where they used to do the shorts in front of the the movies, but they're doing the new version of that where it just shows up on streaming, right? And what's a bummer is those Marvel one shots. They're not all on the site. Like some of them are on Disney Plus. If you look at the little plus that they have with the movies, they have some special features, but not. All of the special features. Some of them they have all of them, and some of them they don't. They want you to buy that 4K. They do want you to buy that 4K, yeah, as we were talking about. Speaking of that, I have Jeremiah like texting me trying to gush over Dune right now. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get back into a little bit of Dune talk here in a bit. Wish that they would go back to those. And uh, I understood why they did them at the time because it was widening the world. And I guess they don't really have to do that anymore. But I do miss them. They were a fun little anomaly. Yeah. And in particular, that Peggy. Carter short where she starts S.H.I.E.L.D. That one is almost impossible to find. You can't find it on YouTube. They don't have it anywhere on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I wanted to watch it the other day and I had to go through nefarious means to find it. So like, it's pretty tough to find at this point. And it, it's like a little five to seven minute short, but it's fucking good. I have Bradley Whitford playing as like douchebag boss, you know? Yeah, I, I remember. I actually remember seeing that. I, 
I feel like it might be on one of the Blu-rays for one of the movies. They're, they were all on Blu-rays for the movies. Like, so I probably yeah. have it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's possible. Moving on with Marvel news. So I had you watch an Eternals <sighs> TV spot. And the reason I had you watch this was because the Eternals is coming out on November 5th. Like it's coming very soon. And there seems to be this groundswell of a lot of people who are like, well, I can miss this one. You know, like I'm not going to miss this one. I'm, I'm in for all of the MCU stuff. Like I'm going to check it all out, you know. But there are some people that are just like, well, it doesn't really look like it's going to be the usual fun Marvel thing because they're trying something different. And so... So these TV spots in various ways are trying to like, you know, get people into the theater, obviously. They took an interesting approach, which was they compared like Thor and Spider-Man to what they're doing in the Eternals. And then they have Kumail talking about like somebody says like Eternals assemble and he's like, I like the sound of that, you know. And they're just trying to like tie it in with the Marvel stuff to remind people hey, this is still a Marvel thing. You should really go to it. Where do you fall on this? Do you even care about the Eternals? I know nothing about the Eternals, yet I want to see this. I mean, Marvel has done me no wrong at this point, but it's going to be number two on my list because I still haven't seen Shang-Chi or Shang-Chi. That's insane, dude. You haven't seen that one yet? No. It's just so hard to get to the movie theater right now. It's going to be out on Disney Plus in November, so... You might miss your chance to see it in theaters soon. I, it's good, man. I really like Shang-Chi. Like, I liked it a lot. And it, it has the single best fight scene of any Marvel movies. Like, this scene on the bus where they're fighting is just incredible. And it's funny. So it's like the perfect Marvel scene, you know? Like, they're able to thread in humor with making it very kick-ass, which a lot of their fights are not kick-ass. So it was pretty cool to watch that. But, yeah, The Eternals, like, it's got me on a couple of fronts. I like Chloe Zhao. I think she's a good filmmaker. The trailers, it just visually looks really incredible. So I do want to see that. It just looks like it would be fun to watch. And it's a Marvel thing. So right away there, I'm in on the Marvel thing. And I'm curious to see Kumail in a Marvel movie. Because I got to imagine he's going to be comic relief in it, right? Or at least he's going to be a lot of fun anyway. Yeah, I just feel like you don't cast him if you're not going to have him crack some jokes, especially in a Marvel thing, you know? So I'm I'm in it for Camille, for sure, and other reasons as well, but we'll see how it goes. I will say it's the worst feeling I've had for a Marvel thing in terms of, like, will it bomb since Guardians? Now, obviously, Guardians panned out really, really <laughs> well for him. But I have my doubts on this one. I just think there's so much stuff that's come down the pike with Marvel lately that having the different look for a movie, it just might not be a good time for that, you know. But we'll see. So you got a review on Old. So this is the M. Night Shyamalan movie. I believe it came out earlier this year. So came out this summer. Yeah. Like in the early summer. And I just saw this on the Red Box. I was waiting for my kid to get out of driver's ed, so I had like half an hour to kill. So I went actually scrolled through the red box, which is something I haven't done in a while. Yeah, I haven't either. And I'm like, I kind of want something a little more like I, I can't go all horror or my wife will not watch it. But if I get the suspense, it's a 50 50. Yeah. And this, from what I understand, can be classified as a suspense or a horror movie, right? I would definitely classify it as suspense. There's some gross stuff in it, but it I wouldn't put it in horror just as, as far as genre goes. So basically the premise of the movie is 
it's these the people that makes you are, old. People go to a beach <laughs> and, and it like ages you like each day is worth like 50 years on this beach. And there is some fucked up shit. Like this one little girl, she's like gets old and then like her wait, wait, wait. She her gets a, old. She gets old. <laughs> she becomes the titular. But she thing gets in the she title. gets uh she's like basically comes of age and then like has a kid. And the uh has a baby, but because time is so like sped up, like the baby just like dies instantly because like it's not held. It's not being like cared for for like 10 seconds. Yeah. Which is like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. I, I've actually heard, I think, everything there is to hear about this movie because <laughs> I listen to a lot of movie podcasts. Um, I'm definitely going to check it out. It's piqued my curiosity. And I did kind of like what the twist was at the end. I I liked what they did with it, but – or. I liked what the twist was, but I feel like they kind of left a lot of interesting stuff on the shelf with it. So, well, it's for when older comes out. <laughs> Guess what? We just keep getting old. <laughs> so it kind of like tries to put like this whole morality spin on it, but they just like speed bus past it and it just kind of like oh so we're just gonna everybody's getting arrested and then all this like all of the stuff that they they spent like five minutes trying to set up the the morality in it and they just like blow right past it yeah i've heard it's basically a blown out episode of the twilight zone when you really boil it down which is kind of what he's good at you know like remember when they were talking about having m night Shyamalan do tales from the crypt for a while yeah and it ultimately got killed because they couldn't get the crypt keeper puppet that the just crypt killed keeper it puppet the and then like the the rights to tales of the crypt are just all over the place yeah but it was the puppet in particular yeah. because the puppets rights are different than the the rest of the property and that's what killed it that was one of those things where like, M. Night was still having a rough time in his career when word of that came out. And we were 100% on it because it was like, this sounds like something he would actually be good at. Like a little short thing where it really makes you think and it's like a goofy premise and then there may or may not be a twist at the end. Like that's right up his alley. That, that's when you get his good stuff, yeah. you know? Um, I actually did a podcast a little while ago on uh, Watch No Evil and I forgot to plug it all over the place. So let me just do do it now it's from last spring i think and uh they just finished up another season since then but it was towards the end of their second season and we were talking about the village which i had never seen and i just always heard it was terrible and a waste of time and i watched it it was actually pretty good now i knew what the twist was so i wasn't having this thing that a lot of audience members had where they're just like oh that's stupid when they see the end but when you watch it and you know it's coming and you see it all play out, it's a pretty good tight tale. And I think it got shit on a little bit because I think people were sick of M. Night Shyamalan at the time. And I think there was some signs hangover there. Yeah. And I think all of the frustration people have with signs, they just leaped onto the village. But if you go and watch it, it's actually pretty I good. I have watched it. And I I'm did saying if you it. watch it again, I think it's I think it's worth a reappraisal. It's also a 9-11 movie. And I don't think most people knew that. And we had a big I, i'm not gonna step on it go listen to that podcast we have a whole conversation about it. it's pretty good but uh even if you don't like the movie i think you'll find something in our conversation that would be interesting yeah and they're not on our network so i'm not getting paid to do this like i just spent an hour for a half hour podcast <laughs> actually i think we did like 90 minutes and they hacked it down to 30 so so i don't know if you know this but bigs can talk 
<laughs> what? <laughs> no. So the last thing I wanted to say about old was the stuff that is that like people would call horror. So there's a couple of things like if you get a cut, it like almost immediately like heals itself because again, time like yeah. your body metabolism speed sped up so fast. So like they had to like the uh, one gal has a tumor. And like it, you could see it like grow on under her skin. And so they decided to cut it out. Well, they cut it and it like immediately closed up. So they had to like cut it real fast and then like keep their hands in there like long enough to like get the tumor out, <laughs> which was gross. And then like, uh, there's this woman chasing the two kids in it and she breaks her arm and then like it heals so fast. So it like heals in this like, really twisted like shape and then she f- keeps breaking like all of her arms and legs because she has like osteoporosis yeah and like so it would heal in these like awful awful positions and so like the end she's like this giant spiral of like arms and legs and stuff <laughs> so it's cronenberg-esque a little bit it's not slimy speaking of that so Carl and I were going to talk about this in the last episode and we forgot, but I do want to bring it up because I was looking for a horror movie to watch with my wife and we were just going through and I'd started going through the, the Turner Classic Movie section of HBO Max and Rabid was on there, which was Cronenberg's, I believe, second feature film. I'm like, let's watch this one because she kind of stopped on it for a second. So we went to watch it. That movie is fucked up and it's great, but there's basically a pandemic in part of it. I'm not going to go through the whole plot, but there is a woman with a vagina armpit that has a phallic thing that comes out and gets people sick. So I'll just I'll just let you know there. That's the part where you're like, oh, yeah, this is Cronenberg. <laughs> like when you watch that, This is Cronenberg. The vagina is on wrong parts of the body. That's definitely Cronenberg right there. That's a signature thing that he does in his movies. Something phallic coming out of it. David, all the way. <laughs> it causes this pandemic in the part of Canada that they're in. And so they shut down everything. But it fucking looked like our pandemic at parts. Like there's there's a part where they all have to have these vaccine cards because they find a vaccine for it, but it doesn't do any good if you get sick already. So it only works as a preventative thing. Like vaccines do? Yes. They have all these lines and you can only go out if you have your vaccine card. So they have these two lines and they're like pulling off some people because they don't have vaccine cards. And they're like screaming at them while they're like pulling them off. And I'm like, accurate. Totally accurate. Part that's not accurate, they're dealing with something and like they're in hazmat suits and they're both like wearing masks. And I'm like, nope, one of those guys would like refuse to wear his mask. (laughs) Go off about how it was freedom. That's where he gets it wrong. (laughs) There's like one other part where there's like this guy who's like rabid and he like leaps on this other guy's car and he's driving, looking around like it's no big deal. And then they shoot the guy while he's on the windshield, dispose of his body and then clean up his car really quick and then tell him to move on. And he just looks like, again, like I'm running behind kind of thing. And I'm like, accurate. Like that is our lives now. It's just like all this annoying shit that we have to go through and everybody's just adjusted now and they're just fucking annoyed but as shit by it and bored by it at this point, you know? It was just <sighs> interesting dude because this is a film from 1978 you know wow yeah they even had vaccine cards that look like they wouldn't fit in your wallet for whatever that's <laughs> worth so they've been doing that dumb play at least since the 70s <laughs> they um, don't watch enough cronenberg to realize that this is the problem <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was the least disturbing thing in the entire movie to be honest <laughs> 
So Evil Dead Rise. Have you been hearing about this at all? No. So that's the new Evil Dead movie. It does not have Bruce Campbell. It might have a cameo. We don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it did. But it just wrapped filming. Uh, it's about two women, one named Beth, played by Lily Sullivan, and a woman named Ellie, played by Alyssa Sutherland, who are estranged sisters that find the Necronomicon. This is supposed to be the first Evil Dead thing that is in a city. So it's in the middle of a city. They're dealing with deadites. And the director, after he rapped, took to Instagram and said that they used over 6,500 liters of blood for the movie. Now, I assume it's fake blood. But that's a fucking lot, dude. Now, I don't know how many liters are in a gallon, but like I remember when we're doing box office battle, I think they said they used 21 gallons of blood in the reanimator, which is like an insanely bloody movie. Okay, so let's put it into things that we can understand. How many gallons is this, Brandon? Because you're an engineer. I see you hacking away on your phone there. Yeah. So I just want to. Gallon wise, I want I want to just get your guess on, guess on this. What, How many 65, gallons that is? Sixty five hundred liters of of blood. <laughs> I like that you're going for cola thing. <laughs> I, that almost happened. So my instinct, and I don't know if it's right. It's probably not right. Is that there's four liters to a gallon, and if that's correct, then I believe that that would be. 260,000 liters or gallons, something like that. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm going the opposite way. I should do one fourth. So I don't know, dude, like 1,700 and something. 1,717 gallons. Nice. (laughs) That was pretty good for off the top of the dome, right? So to give you an idea, 6,500 liters of blood, go to like a gas station, like one of the big truck stop ones that's really big that a lot of people go through in a small town, right? That like has cola things up on all the doors surrounding three walls of the building. It's probably more than all of that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, that's a lot. So a barrel of oil is 55 gallons. So that's the big, like, you see hobos, like, lighting fires in. Like, that's a 55-gallon drum. It would take 118 (laughs) barrels of blood. I mean, are they swimming in fake blood in this movie? What the fuck is happening? That is a lot of – that's an insane amount of blood. Yeah, it is. That's an insane amount. So this movie is going to be out on HBO Max at some point in 2022. I had a little bit more information on this that I've forgotten because I talked about it when we did our Army of Darkness episode of A Cosmic Void. So if you go back and listen to that, I talk about it in the other source material. But we don't know a ton about this movie, but I am so fucking excited. I know Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and Robert Tapper all produced it. So it's the same people who produce all the Evil Dead stuff. So, yeah. And we know Bruce Campbell said repeatedly he's not reprising Ash for the movie. But it was worded in a way where, like, we might get a cameo. He never said that, but it was it was definitely made clear that he would not be the main character. Let me put it that way. So I'm hoping we get... If they want the Evil Dead franchise to do well, I think he has to make at least a short cameo, not at the end of the credits, because you always have those rabid fans who just assume that like Bruce Campbell got fucked on this somehow. It's like, no, dude, he's making money off of this. Yeah. (laughs) He helped make it. What do you want to see in a city dwelling evil dead movie god i've been so weird because like even like ash versus evil dead we had like suburb sized towns the elk grove was probably like the most populated area yeah because it's out in the middle of michigan right they never go to detroit or anything like that. no i want to see the uh 
I don't know. We always called it the nothing. I can't remember what they actually the called force? it. The force? The force, yeah. I want to see that going through apartment buildings looking for somebody. Just slamming from door through wall to window to door to wall. Like, you know what I mean? Jumping to be... the next building. No, I mean like literally just plowing through walls in an apartment building. <laughs> like, and doors and shit. I think that could be a lot of fun. I would love to see that. That's just like an image I have in my head for whatever reason. So um, I also like the idea of Deadites torturing them on like a subway train or something because you're like stuck in the subway, right? So if you have them coming from one side and then another side, like you're just fucking trapped. You can't do anything. That would be interesting too. Yeah. So I bought a new truck this summer and I installed a backup camera on it and I have the trailer hitch. I can attach trailer hitch to it and the trailer hitch, the top of the ball just barely sticks up into the frame of the backup camera. So I was out kayaking. I was backing up to the the river to get the kayaks out. And so you had the trailer ball sitting up and I was watching the backup camera and I was going like five, 10 miles an hour backwards, like pretty good clip, like over rocky terrain. And it was awesome because it looked like the nothing or the four shot, like... It was like all, it was kind of grainy and then like, (laughs) like the frame would bounce up and down, but not like the, the view of the ball stayed the same the whole time. So it was like the, kind of like the arrow shot in Army of Darkness. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Dune Part 2 has gotten greenlit. It was questionable as to whether it get greenlit or not. Seems like an unqualified success. The first week it did like 250 million worldwide in the theaters, which is pretty fucking good nowadays. And then it did really well. It was like in the top five for HBO Max watch shows, according to some service that tries to track it because streaming services n- never give out that number right. unless they want to. Um, but yeah, it seems like a lot of people are watching this. So I'm excited to watch the second one. I don't think I really said how much I liked it in the last episode because I was with Carl and I was kind of going off of his energy. So I found like one or two things to pick apart. So I just did not want to have a Carl battle right then. <laughs> Sometimes I find it very funny, but it's funnier when there's two of us in the room, like, needling him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I only say this because he'll never listen to this part of the podcast. (laughs) But uh, I really liked it, so I'm looking forward to a second one. And uh, I think it's – I was saying this out on the porch, but I think it's going to be up for some Oscars. I think that's the thing that's going to happen. I don't just mean special effects and sound. Like, I think think there's going to be some stuff that it's up for. It might be a Best Picture nominee. Like, it very well could be. It's pretty incredible, dude. It's it's one of those movies you don't see very often where you watch it and you're like, this is going to change some movies. Like, I think visually it's going to change some things. So um, I really enjoyed it, and it was amazing to me how much Game of Thrones ripped off Dune, dude. <laughs> like, it's so much like you're hearing them talk about the houses and you're like, George R. R. Martin just ripping off Dune left and right. And uh, I went to it in the theater and then I went to go see it with Jeremiah and a couple of his friends. And uh, we sat down and it was one of those things like I was the only one who had actually watched it, but they had all read the books. And we had this long running joke about how they were ripping off Star Wars the entire time because we were all yeah. we all knew like Star Wars ripped off the book of Dune, but it was was still funny to be like oh yep they're ripping off star wars right there 
It's almost bullshit. And they were very careful to not visually ape anything that they did in Star Wars. You know what I mean? Like, even when you get the Baron who's, like, kind of slug-like, that's where they got Jabba the Hutt from. And they made him grotesque in an entirely different way. But, like, you're watching, you're just like, oh, Return of the Jedi right there. <laughs> But it is fucked up when you realize that the first one was directed by David Lynch and didn't do well. He doesn't like it either. Like, nobody likes it, apparently, except for Kevin Smith and Mark Bernard. And, uh, it, like, it's kind of a cult film. You know what I mean? Like, people watch it to be like, wow, that's really fucked up kind yeah. of thing. But what's interesting about that was at a certain point, David Lynch was supposed to direct Return of the Jedi, and he turned it down for Dune. And it's just, like, <laughs> it's so funny that, like, they stole conventions of Dune from Return of the Jedi, and then they're just there. And meanwhile, David Lynch is actually doing Return of the Jedi. It's just weird the way that all worked out. Yeah, it is weird. Return of the Jedi almost wound up being a couple of different movies. Like, do you know the the history of, like, the director's stuff with that? Not really. Okay, so George Lucas had his name removed from A New Hope. At the very beginning, they're supposed to say the director's name. It's part of being in the DGA. And he willingly had it removed, so no big deal. When Empire Strikes Back comes around, he has Irvin Kershner's name removed, and Irvin Kershner is okay with it, but because George Lucas was in charge and he had that done, the Directors Guild went after him. And so because of that, he had to pay this giant fine to like just do the like the Star Wars thing at the beginning and not have the credits at the beginning. When they go to Return of the Jedi, Steven Spielberg was going to direct it. That was the plan all along. And then he realized all this trouble with the DGA. I can't handle this, George. Like, I can't be fighting the DGA. So he wound up not directing it. So we almost had Steven Spielberg direct it. Then the next guy they go to is David Lynch. He winds up choosing to go do uh, Dune instead. Then he looks at David Cronenberg, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And like, them had been some fucked up Ewoks. Dude, <laughs> the Sarlacc pit would have been a giant vagina. I mean, it kind of. Like, is. more than it is, though. <laughs> it would have been a lot wetter on a desert planet for some reason. <laughs> Jabba's tongue would have had a vagina with a phallic thing coming mm. out of it. <laughs> anyway, so that's just kind of interesting. That's all to say, Dune 2 is coming, kiddos. <laughs> Don't worry. I did go to it with my daughter, and she enjoyed it, too. So for whatever that's worth. You had some stuff on Rust? A lot more has come out about why it happened. And it's really fucked up from like a production standpoint. So the company that was involved in that was hired to run all the gun props for that has been in trouble before. First assistant director David Halls was fired from his previous film uh, Freedom's Path from injuries to a crew from a gun discharge. So this isn't the first time. It's also not the first time on the set of Rust that a gun had discharged with live ammunition in it. Right. There was like three times that, that it had misfired. Yeah. So, yeah, there would not misfired, discharged. A misfire is when a, a round is... You pull the trigger, but nothing happens. Is a misfire. Okay. So, yeah, just five days before that, the same gun had discharged. And between sets, they were just, like, off to the side of the set, just shooting cans and rocks and shit. 
off the side. So they were firing live rounds on set. There are very few reasons why a live round should ever be on a movie set. Or I, never, honest. never on a movie set, on a TV set, on very, very limited, like a Mythbusters where they're like shooting a ballistics But they're round. not filming a movie. That's different. No, no. And like uh, the whole point of a movie is it's making up shit. Like, yeah. there is no reason for a live round. Yeah, set. agreed. Yeah, we covered that last week for yeah. sure. There's just, there's no reason, man. Like, when you fire a gun, there's 24 frames per second that are being picked up. And a muzzle flash being caught on film, I think I've read there's like a 1 in 200 chance of it even happening. So, like, the odds of you even catching the muzzle flash are almost zero. There's no fucking reason not to just do it in post and play make-believe like you do with everything else in a movie, you know? Yeah. It's just ridiculous. So there's dummy guns, which are basically just rubber guns. And then there are non-firing guns, which are basically they shoot out like a fireball, like out the side. And those are most often used. Then there are their firing weapons, which usually discharge blanks. Like for revolver scenes, which this is a Western, so everything is a revolver. The, the hard part with a revolver is... When a revolver is loaded, you can actually see the bullets out the end of the gun. Right. Outside on the four chambers that are not directly in front of the in front of the barrel. So those are filled with a um, dummy round, which is a cartridge with the bullet. And then there's like usually plastic BBs just to give it a little bit of weight. And so the first uh, assistant director, their job is to mark all those and have those separated. And they have to check under guild rules. They're supposed to check every round that's on set. And so they have to go manually go through every single round. And they have recovered bag and two boxes of live ammunition off the set. That's insane, man. That's absolutely insane. Yeah, and there was one person dead and one person that was very injured. Very injured. Yeah. And it, this kind of really hit home cuz my daughter's currently in school to be a cinematographer, so the director of photography, the person that got killed, that could have been her job. So it really <sighs> Yeah, people will probably learn from this. I hope. And David Hall should be in prison. That's my personal opinion. Who is this? He is the the first uh, assistant director gotcha. that fucked everything up, had live rounds on set. Like all of these protocols were broken and it all boils down to his fuck up. Sounds like a negligence thing. Um, well, let's move on to other terrible things. <laughs> So uh, Kevin Smith has said in his new book that Goodwill Hunting was pulled from theaters while it was still making lots of money and getting Oscar buzz because if it hit 100 million, Robin Williams would get a higher paycheck. Like he would basically get bigger residuals. So Harvey Weinstein had it pulled while it was still making money. That guy, man, it's just there's no fucking depth to like the shitty things that he did. And it's like now that he's safely behind bars, it seems like every week we get a new like. Like, Harvey Weinstein was a terrible human being story. You know, like, we've already done all the sex stuff, so now it's just like, let's find out about all the other shitty things that he's done to various actors. Yeah, that's crappy, man. Like, how upset would you be if you, like, made this film for somebody and you, you took less money so that you could get points and you're a really big star and then, like, he fucks you like that? That's unheard of, man. You're going to pull it while it's still making money? Yeah, 
the, that is just pretty fucked up since like, you know, if the film's still doing really well, Harvey Weinstein's still making fucking money. Right. But he's not making as much money. That's he's still it, making more a, money. Right. Like, That's what I'm saying it comes down it's, to is it's like the utter greed of it, right? Like over a long enough timeline, I'll make more money by fucking you over now. <sighs> You know, that's like the the shitty calculation that you make. Never mind like rewarding somebody for doing a thing with you and maybe they do another thing with you because they make money off of it, you know? Like that just assured that Robin Williams is never going to work with him again by doing that, you know? Yeah. It's craziness. So the Wonder Years, have you you've seen the reboot, right? I I know we talked about it. I've seen of it. I haven't watched any of it. Well, apparently it just got re-upped, so it's going to get a full season now. It was on the short order, so that makes me happy, dude. It's pretty good. Like, I think it's a pretty good family show, and I I hope it catches on. I really like the angle they're going with it. Um, They're spending time, like, really looking at the different characters. It's not all just through the the boys. I mean, it's through his eyes, but, like, he's watching other people through it, and uh, I like it. I, I think it I think they do a pretty good job. Like Fred Savage is one of the executive producers on it. And it seems like he's got a pretty good handle on the thing that made him famous, you know? All right. Got Carl with us now. So what do you want to talk about today? We're kind of in a dry spell right now, aren't we? Eternals hasn't come out yet. Although from what I read online, it's been getting review bombed. I'm curious on this one because I read the initial reactions from reporters and it seemed like a lot of people that were saying like, it's dense, but it's good. And then what you get this. What dense mean? I think dense means there's a lot packed into they were, it, right? Well, the fact that everybody said dense, I saw, they, I think they were talking about it on Weekly um, Planet. Weekly Planet. Yeah. Dense is like it sounds like something they were told to say right when they all say dense here's a thing that happens that i think they were hinting at but didn't really get into so when you go to those big screenings they hand you a packet of information about the movie that comes with the screening and there's a lot you're not allowed to say so they all kind of just naturally rely on these packets yes for things to say about the movie because there's so much they can't say yes and those packets are talking points for them stuff they want to get out about the movie, right? If there's an interesting story behind the movie or how they want to frame the movie, right? And so as a reporter, when you don't have a whole lot you can talk about, yeah, that happens. You just <laughs> well, lean and it's on curious to talking too. points. I wonder if they are instructed to repeat certain talking points verbatim because they're like, we want this specific language to be associated with this. I don't think they have to. I think they just have to hand out a packet that says dense over and over again and then people will say that. It's an old trick. It's the same as if you go to a doctor's office, you look up at a clock, it's going to have some drug company name on it. The doctor doesn't have to hang up that clock, but they get mailed these clocks and pens and posters and shit for all this stuff. And it's all free and it's part of their advertising budget. And so naturally it's in the office. And so if they're like saying that there's a couple suggestions you can get for a pill, you see like that fucking pill up on a clock and then you say it. It's the same as if you hand out the packet. That's the whole point of the packet is to get people to frame the movie you want them to frame. So the fact that these people are all saying the same thing, they're not the shepherds. They're the sh- they're being shepherded. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's some invisible person out there writing these packets that's like, <laughs> But what I was getting at was like the initial reviews <laughs> were like, it's good, but it's dense. And then you got the second round where you're starting to get the blog people that are weighing in and things like that, like the people who aren't the 
heavy hitter reviewers, right? Like you get the first wave that's like the Atlantic or the New York Times or the New York Post or the LA Times or whatever, right? Like you, you get the big people in there. Then you do the second round of screenings and it's like the version of Ain't It Cool News, whatever, like Collider maybe or whoever. And that's when you start to get the kind of nerdery splice with this. And I'm not saying this is what's going on in the movie, but I can't help but think in the back of my head, this already seems an awful lot like every single movie where the certain segment of nerds are going to get upset because it's not white male protagonists and it's not directed by a white male and they can't come out and say that or they may not even know that that's why they feel that way (laughs) but they know that there's a Chinese American woman directing it and they know that it's a multi-ethnic cast and they start to get irritated about it even if they can't put words to it and so it comes out as this shit talking and I'm not saying that that's what's going on in the movie but I'm saying there's like a 60% chance that that's what's happening because I'm looking at the order of operations in which this happens and we won't really know until next week like i'm definitely yeah. going to it this week and i will talk about it and if it's not great then you know i'll i'll say it's not great in, in my estimation but i can't help but feel that way i feel like they're already trying to tank it just as like captain marvel had like a 20 percent approval rating on rotten tomatoes from the audience score before it fucking came out or last jedi got fucking tanked by all these neo-nazis that organized online and then made sure that they like ripped on it because there wasn't enough white male representation for him in the movie. You know, it's like all of this bullshit kind of stuff. Can't help but think about it that way. Is that the case? I don't know, but I'm going to fucking assume that because that's what I keep seeing now, (laughs) you know? I have not actually seen any direct reviews of the movie itself. All I've seen are articles about the fact that it's getting review bombed. Yeah. I've heavily curated my Twitter. I'll just like block people preemptively because I hear things about them. (laughs) You know, I don't ever see the actual people being awful. I only ever see people being like, wow, there's so many awful people on here. It sucks. Yeah. And I'm like, I wish you could see the Twitter that I have because <laughs> none of those people are on my Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. Are you going out looking for those people? And I keep hearing from people like, yeah, I hear the Eternals are getting all these bad reviews. But like you, what I'm seeing is people talking about the reviews. I've seen nary a review. Yes. I've just heard conversations about the reviews. But I don't think anybody's really put out legitimate reviews because how do you put out a review when you can't even talk about the movie? Like, Generally, that stuff drops right when the movie comes out, you know, like that weekend is like, boom, you get that drop. They just talk generally on Twitter or whatever about it. So so there's one spoiler that I did see in a tweet that I'm sure there's some kind of context for it, but I don't know if it's even real because it came out. The spoiler was like right at the beginning of the first screening, like right in the first screening hit, like this tweet came out and it was like, hold on. Okay. So I guess we're laying down a potential spoiler here. Well, this tweet was like about how the character that is gay in the show. Are we talking about Angelina Jolie? Is, no, is the lesbian. man, the, the, I think the black guy is gay. Okay. Supposedly there's a scene where it's like doing a kind of a forward jump in time through history, showing where different characters were at at different points in history. And there's a moment where the time thing says like 1945 Hiroshima and he's standing in the middle of of the city and he's saying, what have I done? Okay. 
as though he was the one responsible for blowing up Hiroshima. Okay. Or something. <laughs> and they were like – and this person was saying like, of course, they would have the only gay character or like the character that's coded as the gay one in the movie. Does it matter that Angelina Jolie is, is a lesbian character? And well, seems like the hero of this. Like seems like the – I mean maybe I'm mistaken, but off the trailers, it seems like she's kind of the matriarch figure for this group. All I know is that this tweet was unhinged. Okay. And I just like – I don't know. Like what, I haven't seen it. What so. could possibly – how could they possibly justify doing that? I can't be a real thing that happens in the movie, right? Or if it does, there's got to no be idea. like – I do know Marvel has been <laughs> – Way fucking slow to get to LBGTQ stuff, so I'm not going to give them credit they haven't earned. You know what I mean? I don't well, know. No, no, no. I mean, that sounds like a really bad portrayal, though, doesn't it? That's what I'm saying. Like, they haven't earned the credit for me to defend them. And like, you're saying, like, that can't be real, right? Like, I don't know. Well, it, it possibly just, could. It, it feels like something so blatantly exploitable of a thing to like like when you're making a thing you got to think like especially in this day and age you've got to look at like every individual frame of your movie and be like is this memeable yeah <laughs> trust me my daughter has like a photo album on her phone with like t- a thousand pictures of them on it and it's all just still images from tv shows and movies <clears throat> not a single actual taken photo in that photo <laughs> so the question to ask is do they have anybody overseeing the movie who's lbgtq who might be like hey maybe not this thing or is it all just straight people that don't even think twice about it because that's always possible too i can't imagine that that it's entirely straight white people i mean it's look at the cast look at the cast that's a I'm diverse saying, cast well, and i'm sure that I, that's I know it's not Straight, I know it's not well. straight white people because the director like, is not white. But I'm saying like maybe it's all straight people in the production and the writing and the directing to where they just don't even realize it because they're not so invested into not going into the, the bad stereotypes of Hollywood history. Like you fall into it if you're not aware of it. But it feels like Chloe Zhao is the type of director that would – be aware of those things. You would hope so. That's why I think that it's not real. I think that scene's not actually in the movie. I think it was just a a really messed up Twitter joke that like Caught didn't fire. really. Well, no, I don't think it even went that far. I don't think it was a big thing. I think I just happened to see it because I have a I follow a lot of LGBT people on Twitter because I'm curious about their perspectives on things when. A news story breaks. They're the ones whose perspective I am curious about first when it's something related to their world because they're the ones that never really seem to get to their opinions, not the media opinion. The media is always like going to view them as the secondary person to interview in any case. Just like how when discussing problems with homelessness, does the news, the local news go and talk to homeless people? No, they go talk to the people in homes that live nearby. They talk to like people like run shelters or something like that. People who are adjacent to it, but not. Not the people actually Not the people who are homeless. And yeah, yeah, yes, John Oliver just did an episode about homelessness, so. That's on my mind because I watched it like literally a couple hours ago. And I had a lot of experience being homeless adjacent when I was traveling the West Coast in my car and uh, never truly felt 100% homeless. I could have always to Helena. 
but you know, I slept in my car every night for the most part. There were yeah. times when I stayed with family, but that wore out pretty fast because I'm not very close with my extended family. So it's kind of like having a stranger come crash on your couch for several weeks. Yeah. Eventually, I just got more comfortable in my car because you don't, you're not like imposing on anybody, but then your car becomes an imposition. You get tickets. I, would, I could talk about that for way too long. Oh, well, let's stay on this for just a second. I would say that you were homeless just in that when you did decide to move back, it took a while before you could actually get a place to have your stuff and you didn't have a car. So you were just switching between people. That's true. I mean, like, I, okay. I know, I know so, what you mean. I know what you mean by it. But like, also, I would say that, like, uh, you're not a poser if that's what you're feeling. <laughs> I was, I was literally homeless for the period when I first got back to Helena for like a couple of weeks until I got into that place that I'm in now. But uh, I volunt when I got into my car and left Helena, I voluntarily made this decision in my mind to make my car my home. And so as long as I had my car, I wasn't homeless. And there was a there was a night in L.A. when I got pulled over for apparently not having brake lights, even though the bar, the brake bar was still activating. So if I hit the brake, I would see a red light come on in my rear rearview mirror. <laughs> and they threatened to impound my car if I couldn't provide them with a California address. I had a Montana license that was valid. But that, for some reason, that was insufficient. They're just trying to get you to move on. And uh, I guarantee it. I gave them an address in San. Well, how would I move on if they take my car away right. from me, though? Like, but that, like, it's the they didn't take your car it's from a you, right? It's they're the, trying it's to the threat of it so that you move on because they had so many homeless people in L.A. I think. I mean, the I guess cops I could whatever they can to get. I guess I could have given out. them just any address. Could have just given them any address whatsoever, which is insane, right? To make them go away i just say uh 816 greendale avenue 91324 whatever i was probably better at at zip codes while i was in the area <laughs> maybe not throw out the zip code <laughs> uh well i mean zip codes fucking important in la yeah. though because you drive six blocks and you're in a new zip code oh, it's so it's hard to keep so track of where you're at like at one point i delivered an iphone to this rich guy and uh, I picked up the phone in, in L.A. County. I dropped the phone off in Beverly Hill. When I got to the house, like, it was fucked up because the door was slightly ajar. And there was, like, a fucking five-year-old boy inside the living room that I could see through the open door. And I was, like, I knocked. And I didn't enter the building. But I was just like, hey, is, is your dad home? Can you get your dad? You know? And he started going through the house going, daddy? Daddy? And he couldn't find his dad. And he started fucking losing it. And I'm just like, what do I do here? You know, and this went on for 15 minutes, like me trying to calm this child down through the crack in the door while he is losing his mind, bawling, screaming for his dad. And I'm like, his dad's like OD'd in some back room and is like unconscious. And should I, what do I do? And, uh, so I get on the phone and I try to call the police and uh, I call like non-emergency because I'm like, I don't need like 911 racing to my location. But uh, the phone number that I get, they are like, oh, you called the wrong county. <laughs> so you, we're going to transfer you to this other county. And then I got transferred and I got transferred basically to like a hold being on hold. So I'm just like sitting here on hold. And then all of a sudden a maid shows up and I'm trying to explain what's happening to the maid through the door, like, 
Kid's freaking out. I don't know where his dad is. I'm on the phone with the police. You should find his dad. (laughs) And then she like goes into some back room and the dad comes out and is just like completely unaffected by everything that's going on. The child is still screaming. He comes to the door. I give him his fucking new iPhone. He And he fucking closes the door. And then all of a sudden the fucking hello on the fucking other end of the phone. Now the cops are on the phone. <laughs> so I'm having to explain to them what happened. And he was just like on a business call or some shit. Just in his office doing business shit. You know, being a tech bro. God damn, And dude. just neglecting his child. And it was just really like one of the more unpleasant experiences I had <laughs> in LA. And you were hassled by police. <laughs> yeah. And I'm the one, yeah, I'm the one getting hassled by the cops and I'm like trying to save this child. I was going to get ready to take him into my car and raise him. And, yeah. <laughs> he was going to be my Robin. We were going to fight crime together. Nice. Well, speaking of a child suddenly showing up, uh, I'm going to throw out spoiler alerts for what we do in the shadows because they finished the <laughs> oh, season. You but did I do finish wanna, it. I okay, do want to. Yeah, I did. And I did want to couch this by starting with, uh, I think you watched all three seasons just now, right? So what do you think of the show on the whole and then this season in particular? It has been a fantastic ride. The first season did a great job of just like setting everything up. And the second season started to like explore in different directions and like give focus to individual characters. Like one of the highlights of season two was definitely the Jackie Daytona episode. So (laughs) freaking good. Which like spawned a bunch of like really well selling shirts for Jackie Daytona. Yeah, Laszlo uh, is my favorite character for sure. But I think Colin Robinson is my most – is the character I think of the most – like pops into my head the most because – it's fun to do the things he does to people, <laughs> to like be annoying and boring on purpose. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Uh, and I am a kind of a long-winded, you know, if you're a long-winded person in any way, you kind of relate to Colin Robinson a lot. 100%. Yeah. Um, and season three was really well done as well. Like uh, I liked the addition of Kristen Schaal to the cast as a fairly regular cast member. Although they, she it has, her character is such a straight man character. Yeah. Cause I mean, with everybody else involved, they're so crazy already. Yeah. That like you do, I mean, and then you've got, and uh, even Guillermo is starting to become crazier as they've gone along. The lore, right. So you have to introduce the way that another. they've like another, highlight of season two was it season two was the seance yes yeah where where they get the doll i think they literally this is like the first time in i think a really long time that anyone has advanced vampire lore in a productive manner because like all the fucking blade fuck you blade as much as i think as fun as Blade is of like an action movie. I thought the first one was great and then it just kept going. But know? it also, their attempt to like scienceify vampires and they're like, this, this is like they're UV allergic to light in a that. bullet and yeah. this is like a fucking virus that'll cause you to burst like a balloon and like fuck that bullshit fuck well, at all least the of actors that. realize that and they jumped onto fuck. what we do in the shadows because we've now gotten two different actors from play playing themselves but the idea that when a vampire becomes a vampire their ghost is like also <laughs> exists yeah and that a vampire can interact with their own ghost is awesome 
Like that is so that is such a it's a crazy we can hilarious all idea. Now mine that concept for stories. Yeah. They have added that story to vampire lore and we can all now play with that idea because they created they came up like it's such a brilliant idea i really do wonder where they came up with that it's just so funny even like in coming up with the concept of like like really like sort of crystallizing the concept of the energy vampire because there has been the like the lore of like the psychic vampire the, or the energy vampire and psychic vampires or energy vampires are also like a psychological term for people that do that psychologically that are like that Just prey on, other, on your energy. Yeah, that there are people that do like create these parasitic emotional relationships with people, you know, like that's a real thing. And this is like a supernatural version of it. But they're they're coming up with it in real time. The reason why season three focuses so much on Colin Robinson trying to figure out what he even is. It's because the writers didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> and they said, well, let's just make that his journey. We'll figure it out together. And like the impro- improvisational nature of the way this show is written is also really cool. Like I was reading an interview with them and the writers and then Colin Proch, I think is his real name. He's hey, there's another guy that just is his own name. Yeah. Like Tony Danza. Yeah. Always plays Tony's. And uh, who was the guy – who was the other guy we were talking about? Oh, uh, Pete Davidson was playing Pete. Yeah, that's what brought Pete. it up. <laughs> <laughs> Season three's done a really good job of just expanding the universe more, bringing in more vampire-adjacent celebrities and making them characters <laughs> on the show. I really like the idea that that guy what – was his, what's his name, the actor? I can't remember, but I do remember him from Grounded for Life. And, of course, Blade. He had so much he, popularity with the vampires for the movie Blade that he just decided to become one. <laughs> so he's on Don't all Logue. And then he's great. Don't yeah. Logue is – he's one of those guys that, like, uh, in the 90s and the 2000s, he would randomly show up and stuff. And I would always be like, oh, that guy's in this. Yep. Awesome. I, I was always excited to see him because he always brought, like – Something good to the whatever he worked on, whether it was Blade or whatever. What else is he? Grounded for Life was a pretty decent sitcom. Yeah, it, I think it only lasted a season, maybe two, but it was one that I really liked. Uh, it turned out my wife independently watched it way before we got together. She loved it too. Oh, he was and the only sitcom that Ween did the soundtrack for. He was one of the better uh, things about that show Gotham. He was Harvey Bullock. That's right. Yeah, and he was good. I think I remember seeing him pop up in lots of like. I don't know what. I have to go back farther. He was in an episode of House. Of course he was. Well, while you're looking at that, there was one moment in particular that's just been staying with me because it was so grotesque and hilarious, which was when the vampire was looking over at Colin Robinson after he died. And that was like, shocking. just touches his face and then it just smushes him. <laughs> I fucking laughed so hard, but it was also very uncomfortable. And that image has just stayed with me. And I love the way that they had it where Colin Robinson is basically like rebirthed. Is that basically what happened? Like, it seems like it's his head on a baby. Yeah, apparently his life cycle is a hundred year life cycle where he, yeah, he like, his body was basically like cocoon for a new body new baby body that burst out of the stomach it looked like <laughs> yeah and slimily crawled into the other room <laughs> down the hallway so that was a big thing so in the final episode Nadja gets offered a job to work for the vampire council in london laszlo doesn't want to go back to london because 
they shunned him for marrying Nadja. Nadja, yeah. Guillermo was finally going to get turned um, into a vampire. Because Nandor decided not to do the super slumber, which he was going to do in the previous episode, and uh, was going to instead travel the world and had a pretty intense interaction with Guillermo where Guillermo was just like, fuck you. (laughs) Where they were like going after each other. They actually fought. For a minute, and then he basically gives him his word that at the end of the trip, when they reach his homeland, he'll turn him into a vampire. Laszlo changes his mind about going to London and is going to go. And at the very last second, after visiting Colin Robinson's body and discovering what he's become, he decides he needs to stay and take care of baby Colin Robinson. So he swaps him and puts Guillermo in his place in the coffin, which is like fucked up because he's alive. He drilled a hole in the bottom and he's like, as long as he doesn't drown in his own waste, he should be okay. It's like, if you have good aim or you're really persistent, you'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, so... By the way, there's a scene that really made me laugh when Lazo was going to go and you see him walking down the stairs with this... He has this witch's hat that's like made out of like flesh. Is it the the cursed one? Yeah, the cursed yeah. hat that, that he's like obsessed so with. It's so stupid and it's so funny and it's like the way they call it back over and over again makes me laugh but he's like walking down the stairs with it behind his back and Nods is just like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Yeah, well, and the, it. I'm glad the hat exists because anytime that hat is around, it probably means we're gonna get to see um, the uh, what? What's his name? Uh, I can't even remember uh, now. Nick see? Kroll. Nick Kroll. Oh, vampire. that's right. Yeah, the Nick Kroll vampire wants the hat too, and like it, it's like their nemesis is because of they both want this stupid ass hat that is not good for you no. in any way. <laughs> Because the guy finally gets the hat and then his bar immediately burns down (laughs) and a bunch of his friends die (laughs) and he winds up living in the sewers. Because it's fucking cursed. (laughs) Yeah, he might actually have died in his second episode when he came back. That doesn't mean he's dead in this show, though. That's true. I mean, they undug that thousands-year-old vampire. (laughs) The portrait... The, I love when they were like, hey, maybe he's not dead and they dig him up. Because they didn't die. Yeah. Uh, the portrait is the name of the the season finale. And you see what is like basically the state of the union. It's kind of their state of the union. Seeing this is the, the family that we have now. We've got Guillermo, yeah. Nadia, Laszlo, uh, Nandor. We've got the doll of Nadia's ghost. That instead of going on to the next life, decided to stick around and possess an evil doll of <laughs> Nadja. Um, then you've got Lord Arafas, Aranas, Arf, Arf, whatever, their, no their sire. They've got the oldest vampire. That's, which is like basically a living gargoyle looking thing. Yeah. That speaks like some ancient tongue that only the Baron can speak as well. So, and the Baron is now who they realize is alive because, like, they're like, wait a second. So, because they're all afraid if the oldest vampire dies, that all the other vampires, like, because if they turn a vampire, then all of them will die. That's the theory. If the sire dies, the then whoever the sire made into vampires dies too. Right. And then they're like, the well, hold on. The Baron, like, turned me and he died. So, does that mean he's alive and they like dig him up and he's just been sustaining off of dirt? And because there's so many bodies in the ground. Yeah, that that there's like there's enough so blood. much blood in the dirt. And he's 
he's all burned up, but he's like a torso and an arm, and like his other arm is like burned to his chest. And I think he breaks it free at one point. Yeah, yeah. But he's like got no legs, and he's just horribly burned. But he's like pretty cheery. He's cheery. He rides than around. He, the only time he was ever cheerier was when he started drinking drug blood with them. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they get uh, high, they get high off of like off of feeding off of the blood of people who are fucked up. <laughs> and he's like buddies with the the progenitor I guess and he rides around on him and like kind of a cute pair even though they're both grotesque monsters they make kind of a cute pair god that show is brilliant and then you've got baby Colin Robinson now is the twist at the end of this one but they've all kind of like uh, when Guillermo gets put into the coffin he doesn't go he doesn't show up at the train station so Nandor leaves on his journey to his homeland alone Nandor is and seems really sad he cannot do stuff by himself yeah Well, I mean, he – except that he has gotten this far without – Probably off of like having familiars go until they die of old age and then getting another familiar. Oh, yeah, I know. So he'll just do that again. He'll just get another familiar. Yeah, you're probably right. That's probably where it's going. But I don't know. This show is so brilliant. It has a way of like thinking of things that I never would have thought of. So, But this is the first time we've had the characters really – leave the city they oh, went no, that's on one they trip Vegas they went on one season. was it Atlantic City because uh, that's usually yeah, right because they, they're right. on the east coast so they would go to Atlantic City you're right and then also we have the episode uh, that we were just the talking Jackie about the Jackie Daytona yeah so we've had brief very but this is one where like the state of the current state of affairs is two people in London, one person heading to Eastern Europe, and then another person. One of them is still at the house. Well, two of them are, but one I, of them is I a I feel baby. like they got to come back, though, because I remember hearing Jermaine Clements and uh, Take IYTD talking about the show. The whole idea for them was like, what would it look like if you had vampires in America? Okay. Because like, they were like, they were interested, but they were interested in talking about the immigration story because they're both immigrants to America, right? So it makes sense that, like, to them, that is, like, a key to this story is, like, they don't really fit in with what's going on around them. So this is, like, a very elaborate, hilarious way of talking about the immigration story. Right. So. Well, and once you get to season three, though, you're – this and the story, because of the improvisational nature of their writing style, like, the story goes in very unexpected ways for them. And uh, they have – it's – it's more than just their story now. Like they have the whole writing staff. And like uh, the episode where Nandor kind of gets his own episode where he's joining the people that want to cure themselves of vampirism and are just being like completely uh, manipulated by the leader. And just sends them all out to their deaths and like, well, back to the drawing board. <laughs> Goes off. Um, God, and she reminded me of Eartha Kitt so much. Which, she, But who was that lady? Let me look it up. Um, anyways, uh, one of the reasons why his montage is to the, is to the, um, one week, uh, bare naked ladies is because they're filming in Canada and that's like the national anthem up there. They hear it like three (laughs) times a day. It's been one week since you looked at me. (laughs) Chickity time with the Chinese chicken. Uh, and uh, so like that was just like something that was like embedded in all their brains from living in Canada. 
By the way, what is it about early 90s songs where you can just do, like, the first line and know immediately what you're talking about? Like, you can go, it's Ben. Like, you can do that and, you know, <laughs> or you can go, like, somebody once told me and everybody knows what you're getting at. Like, there's something in the water in the late 90s where if it was a popular song, you could just do the first line and everybody's like, oh, I know what that is. And the 2000s. Yeah, you're right. That whole, like, maybe three or four year era, for sure. I mean, is that, that's, that's, that's not a bad thing though is it to no, be able to identify a song i think that most songs i bet it's more widespread than you're saying because oh, like sure. <laughs> um, it's just, well, i literally thought it too i mean songs, i was so. the flip side of that is like when you hear like a bell bong bong is it gonna be back in black yeah. or is it going to be hell i mean not back in black is it gonna be hell's bells or is it gonna be uh for whom the bell tolls, or is it going to be like some new rap song that sampled that shit? <laughs> Do you ever like? Hear, I'm, I'm curious. Like, I know you're like you're a way bigger music listener than I am at this point. Like, yeah. Um, do you ever hear like drums at the beginning of a song, and you can identify it off of drums? I'm always curious, like what people clue into when you listen. Like, I'll give you an example. I can tell, for example, Phil Collins songs immediately because, like, when he plays drums, he has a particular cadence and a sound to the drums. Like, they, they'd flip that talkback switch so you'd get the kind of echo a lot of the time. But, like, I could just hear drums of a lot of people and know exactly who the band is. Do, do you have that or is it but is drums it something specifically? different? Um, it's, like, one example. Sometimes it's guitar, but, like, so, I think about drums because most people are like, no. That, well, it's pretty <laughs> rare that the drums kick off a song anymore it's isolated true it's pretty rare like the the only song i can think of off the top of my head on right now and it's because i just listened to the whole album the other day at work was uh the the opening of spider webs is like a and but then the music comes in but i would recognize that opening drum kind of fill like opens on a fill so occasionally yeah it's not unheard of by any means for the drums to open a song uh maybe uh usually the drums though are still paired with a nut with something melodic right something yeah uh the opening of that who song that goes on for like 20 minutes is, is, it, uh, is keyboard and drums. And yeah. the drums are pretty sweet, but the keyboard is there like doing a thing. And then too. you get the. Yeah. Yeah. You get the yeah, and then as that thing and plays, then you get David Caruso somebody gets murdered. Off his sunglasses. Somebody gets murdered during <laughs> the piano solo, and it and it's such a long introduction that like the body might even sit there for a couple of days before somebody discovers it, and then David Caruso comes to the scene, <laughs> and then he says something, and then he whips his glasses off or he puts them on. He guys, puts them on, right? He puts them on, and then the scream it, happens. Does or he, does put he it take them off? I thought he took them off, but I've only seen a mom on YouTube. I've never actually watched that show. It's like CSI Miami. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah, I've never watched it either. I could care less. Yeah, I hate cop shows. I love cop shows. Speaking of cop shows, I've been watching The Rookie. The Rookie is a show where Nathan Fillion is a cop. And I started watching it because I needed some Nathan Fillion in my life. I had just spent $160 on eight seasons of Castle. (laughs) Which is now on Hulu for free. <laughs> well, not free. You know what I mean. It's I was already paying the subscription to Hulu. Right. It was free. And now. So it's free for you to watch it. It's definitely fucking free now. 
I watch it yeah. whenever I want, even offline. I download all the seasons onto my tablet or whatever. But uh, it's a show where – so Nathan Fillion is uh, divorced. His son's in college. He's in his 40s. And he's at the bank and the bank gets robbed and he's there and he has this like – it's a very pivotal moment for him. He decides in that moment he wants to stop being a construction guy. He, and he owns his own company. He's doing fairly well for himself. But he decides he's going to quit being a construction guy and become a cop. And he has to go through the whole academy and rookie thing in his 40s. So the whole his whole story is being an old rookie and how that's like super – that doesn't happen. And then there's other characters as well. There's a guy that's the son of internal affairs division and he's like – Kind of a kid that grew up wanting to be a cop, living in his dad's shadow, trying to make a name for himself. There's a girl that is an Asian girl, and so her family wanted her to be a doctor. She was going to med school, and she abruptly changed her mind when she decided she wanted to be a cop. And in the first season, they're kind of all going through – it's like this program where you ride along with a training officer and you know learn how to be a cop. In the field. You've done the academy stuff. You've learned all the other – whatever they've taught you there. And now you're learning how to apply your knowledge to the real world. It's a show that at times veers into propaganda, but also is doesn't shy away from shining a light on less savory elements of the police world. And it doesn't shy away from – like portraying cops as bad people. Ultimately, like it's a show about people and their relationships and all of the char- the actors are really good and their performances are fucking good and I find myself invested in these characters' lives. So the fact that they're cops kind of sort of fades to the background. This is kind of a classic trope, but it's like the the hard-ass cop crosses paths with the idealistic defense attorney and they clash really hard at first but then oh it turns out that was just chemistry and they were you know they actually really like each other well now they're like married and have a kid together and those two present opportunities for conversations where they are offering the cop's perspective on a situation and the defense attorney's perspective on the situation and like they can find compromises and sometimes neither of them even need to really make sacrifices that are that painful It is possible for the police to exist and be a beneficial thing. And that's why it's propaganda. (laughs) Right. Because – no, I mean I think that it is an achievable thing in the real world. It's just like we can't – but not in the form in that it exists now in the real world. I was just thinking about this yesterday and um, look, maybe this is just me being negative. But I really feel like the only way – that like the police departments will be completely remade into something that's not scary is to literally fire all of them, just take it all down because as long as the unions that are there exist, it's not going to happen in all the organizations because police departments, they're not created by the government. They're an individual thing that's like contracted by the governments, right? I think you literally have to take it all down and start over. That's literally the only way it can even begin to happen. And I feel like we're going to fall into a lot of the same motions even if that happens, which is a really negative way to look at it. But I don't know. I'm pandemic living and I have a hard time. I'm having weird. a positive spin on a lot of things. So it's that's the and that's also like a weird side effect of living in a world where our governments are separate but connected. Yeah. Like and I'm not even talking states, I'm talking municipalities. Like the city of Helena 
is responsible for the police department of the city of Helena. And the city of East Helena is responsible for the police department of the city of East Helena. So while I actually do agree with you, your proposal, the implementation of said proposal? Almost impossible. <laughs> Almost to get, impossible. To get every single city in yeah. the government, in the entire country of the United States, like that's like when we think of how many, what, 7 billion people in mm-hmm. America? Is that? I have no idea. Let's say like there's probably hundreds of thousands of cities, of individual cities, if not a million or more individual cities that each maybe maybe not a million. That seems high. Yeah. <laughs> like but let I could see a hundred thousand cities in the country, individual police departments. I could see that. Fifty thousand even. That's like expecting fifty thousand police departments to like it would have to be done one at a time, basically. I don't have faith in most cities to do that anyway. Right. Um I I feel like the last couple of years have been prime example of why it should be done and I don't see it happening. I think this is the difference between being young and older. Yeah. Um, I really do because when I was younger, I saw opportunity and I saw possibility everywhere. And now that I'm older, I see that there's opportunity and there's possibility, but it's not going to happen. Well, and like I hate that, dude. I it's hate just that not evenly cynical. distributed across the it's not just like it's just not evenly distributed. We have communities within our country that are wonderfully progressive, right? We have neighborhoods. We have whole cities sometimes. But even in those cities, there's going to be like a couple of blocks here and there where individuals live that don't agree mm-hmm. for whatever reason, whether, you know, sometimes people are just def- oppositional defiant. No to whatever they're saying because for that reason alone. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, for no right. reason, you know? You're right. There's just and, – and so like even when we get – let's say we passed a national law, you know, that said this is the way it is. There will be like a city in every state, at least one, that's just like we're going to say we're going along with this, but we're – fuck it. Dude, we're not fucking going. There are say, cities. There I would are say cities that in, this, in reality there would be 50 percent of cities that would do that, there that are, would not yeah, go along There are cities it. right now where people are smoking in bars. You know, yep. there's plenty of towns where people are just like smoking wherever they want because they're like, we don't give a fuck. Nobody ever comes here. You know, we're not important. Is that not legal on a federal level? I'm pretty sure it's a federal thing that you can't smoke indoors anywhere. Is know? it really? Pretty when sure. did that happen? Back when it happened. If it had happened. Back when it happened. Yeah. When it <laughs> Thank happened. you. Like, I feel like, okay, I could definitely be wrong here, but I feel like passing a no smoking indoors thing would not have happened in Montana if it hadn't been happened. If it hadn't oh, been Oh, it happened in Montana twice. It happened twice. I the witnessed first, it both times. It, it I got, was here too. It got passed the first time. You were in Oregon. It got, pa- it got passed the first time. They did away with it in the bars and then the legislature was like, no, 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 no. And they like overrode it. And then later it got passed again. On a federal and they, level. And they wrote it, not on a federal level, but on the state level. And they wrote it in a way that like undid the language that the previous legislator had. I'm not saying it's not a federal thing. I just, I'm not aware of it. I'm not aware of a lot like apparently you can't smoke unless you're 21 here uh, i was completely clueless that that had gone through i thought it was still 18 oh damn i'm i'm very wrong as of june 30th 2021 27 states 
27 states have uh, indoor smoking allowed. Yeah. Arizona, California, Colorado, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Montana. It must just be a hell in the city thing. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't it feel national though? No. It doesn't? I've been places where I could smoke. Where? Uh, I think Idaho. They're not on this list. They're not on the list of acceptable? Yeah. Maybe they were in there. All right, we'll end it on that because that's where you sound dumb. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow us or reach out on Instagram at NSF underscore network, Facebook's Not Safe for Network page, or email Not Safe for Network podcast at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. Have a laugh with Lauren and Sarah as they dip in and out of topics every other week on their shiny new podcast, Dippers. Weekly pop culture news you can use, coupled with reviews, deep dives you can't refuse, and occasional interviews on Not Safe for Network. Every week, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies, tracing their influences and effects on cinema. They also occasionally suffer through a really wretched stinker in the movie podcast, A Cosmic Void. Eric and Connor will guide you through the world of wrestlers on the big screen in the show you can understand just by its title, Movies with Wrestlers. 